Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking creatine beyond muscle. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 122 of the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast. Today, we are talking about benefits or potential benefits of creatine that go beyond muscle. The benefits of creatine from a strength, muscle building, and hypertrophy standpoint have been well, well, well established for many, many years now. There's a ton of research on the safety and efficacy of creatine supplementation for use in sports and athletics. And we're going to touch up on some of that stuff, but we also want to go beyond that because somewhat recently we've been uncovering a lot of potential benefits for creatine outside of that. And we're talking potential nootropic brain benefits for cognitive function. And we're talking in areas where you may have brain deficiency of uh, creatine, where it may aid in that as well. Uh, potentially as a use in depression. So we're going to talk a little bit about the mechanisms. We're going to talk all about creatine, how creatine works. We're going to give a brief overview today on creatine from a strength and performance standpoint. And then we're going to go into uh, some of the nuances as it pertains to the newer research in regards to creatine supplementation. So without further ado, let's get into creatine. All right, Nicole, let's talk about creatine. Okay. So let's talk about what creatine is. We'll start there and we'll talk about where you find creatine. Uh, so creatine is a combination of three amino acids. It is arginine, glycine, and methionine. And these are bound together to make creatine. And you can either supplement with creatine or for those of you who eat things like meat and chicken, uh, particularly beef has a very high concentration of creatine. So if you do tend to eat a lot of beef, which it really typically isn't my recommendation just for, um, you know, saturated fat purposes. I always say it's, it's okay to eat beef every once in a while, but you know, that's not something that I, I personally choose to eat often. So, um, it's found in very high concentrations in meat. And essentially when we look at research on creatine, I mean, I guess, Nicole, I guess I'll break down how creatine works in the body. Yeah. Start there. So from a physiological standpoint, we have creatine stores in our muscles. And I think about 90%, if I'm not mistaken, I think about 90% of creatine is that's stored in the body is stored in muscle. And what happens is when you consume creatine from either supplementation or from animal products, that creatine gets bound to phosphate. And that phosphate, we call it like a, it's called a high energy phosphate because it yields a lot of energy. And what happens when it binds to the fat, that's how it's stored in your muscles. So the majority of creatine that's stored inside of your muscle cells are in the form of creatine phosphate. And that's important because if you remember anything from, I don't know, Nicole, I guess high school biology, high school, high school chemistry. Mm -hmm. So if you remember ATP, ATP is adenosine triphosphate, and that is your body's currency for energy, right? So it's adenosine bound to three phosphate molecules. And what happens is, when you break off one of those phosphate molecules, that's where you get energy from. And then you end up with adenosine diphosphate, 
and that adenosine diphosphate needs to bind to another adenosine triphosphate. So essentially that's where creatine comes in. It works in what's called your phosphagen system, right? You've got three different energy pathways or three main energy pathways. And the first one is your phosphagen system. And then you have your anaerobic or glycolytic, right? That's when you're doing a slightly longer duration, let's say lifting weights and things like that. And then you have your cardiovascular for long duration, which is using fat for energy, which is your oxidative pathway, right? So in those three pathways, one of them is used specifically to produce very high energy, very explosive movements, and that's your phosphagen system. So essentially what happens when you break down adenosine triphosphate into adenosine diphosphate, because you have creatine stored in your muscles as creatine phosphate, it is able to donate that phosphate group to ADP to then recycle it into ATP. So if you can picture that, great. If not, don't worry about it. I'm going to explain where it fits for you from an athletic performance standpoint. If you are a power lifter, a sprinter, if you are a, um, I don't know who else, uh, an Olympic lifter, or if you're just somebody trying to put on muscle, creatine is found to be super beneficial for you. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a power lifter. If you lift weights and you do deadlifts that will last you, let's say the, the bout of deadlifts lasts you under 10 seconds, right? Let's say you're doing five by fives. You are going to be in the, at least at the very beginning of that, you're going to be using that phosphagen system. So it's wise to be able to replenish that. And what we generally find is like when you look at research at like vegans and vegetarians versus people who are omnivores or people that eat meat or non-vegetarians, we'll kind of call it, you'll find that they tend to have, I think the number is like 20 to 30% less creatine and that can affect your workout performance. So when it comes to creatine, I mean, we've got lots and lots of research on creatine and how it works. In fact, so much so that according to the International Society of Sports Nutrition, creatine is the most effective ergogenic nutritional supplement currently available to athletes in terms of increasing high intensity exercise capacity and lean body mass during training. And I want to emphasize the lean body mass. And Nicole, this is where we get into, oh, well, I don't want to get bloated. I don't want to hold more water. I hear that creatine like makes me retain more water. What I'll say about that is that's generally something that people are concerned with because they're like, well, I'm going to lose my muscle definition, my muscle tone. And with creatine, what we find is that creatine is an osmolite. So wherever it goes, it's going to draw water with it. So because creatine is stored in your muscle, it's actually not going to give you subcutaneous water, like water under the skin, like people are worried about. It's actually going to give people water intramuscularly, and it's going to make your muscles pop more, right? So this is where people kind of ask the question, should I take creatine in a cutting phase? And I say, yes, absolutely. For two reasons. Number one, you're actually going to look more shredded taking creatine in a cutting phase because, and I've got Nicole here nodding her head, yes. I agree with everything, right? So you're going to draw the water from under the skin into the muscle. You're going to look more shredded and your muscles are going to pop more. And in addition to that, that increase in hydration in the muscle is shown to increase an in anabolic effect. So it's going to help you A, maintain your strength and B, maintain your muscle because you have that anabolism coming from the creatine supplementation, drawing the water into your muscle. So you notice if you ever notice if you've gone into like a, a big caloric deficit and you realize that you lose a significant amount of strength, creatine may be useful and helpful in that. Yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. I'm nodding because I'm 
trying to let you finish your sentences and be quiet until you finish. And then I jump in. So here I am. That was like um, just one long <laughs> novel yeah. of an explanation. <laughs> I'm trying to be very quiet while you speak so I can then get in here. But I think the biggest piece to the um, the water retention stuff is more GI than it is anything else. I, I mean, I've never really had anybody worry about losing muscle definition to take taking creatine. I do hear from a lot of mainly females that in the beginning, when they first start, their stomach is a little bit off, not upset or anything bad, just feel it feels off. And I think it's just them having to get used to it. Yeah. So I'll say a couple things about that. One, there's two different ways that you could do creatine and they're both found to be effective. And then we're also going to kind of tie this to types of creatine, right, Nicole? Yes. So when you think about creatine, well, I said creatine is an osmolite, right? Which means that it draws water to wherever it stores. There are two different ways that you can take creatine. One is a loading phase in which you take five grams of creatine four times a day for a period of seven days. And within by the end of that week, typically you'll reach 100% full muscle saturation. That's essentially what you're looking for with creatine. That's also one of the reasons why I say if you're going to take creatine, you want to take it consistently because you want to reach full muscle saturation. Now, Nicole, this is where you and I have had conversations. Mm -hmm. You're not particularly a fan of loading. It doesn't matter. You can wait, right? You can wait. You could do five grams of creatine a day for a period of 30 days and you'll reach full muscle saturation. Now, the recommended protocol based on the research is probably anywhere from three to five grams per day will Mm -hmm. reach full muscle saturation within a 30-day period. If you're a larger individual, I might say five grams. If you're a smaller individual, maybe you can get away with three. Now, That's my point. Now, what happens with stomach distension or bloating is that you may feel bloated if you are doing a loading phase, you're taking too much too rapidly. And what happens is because it's an Mm -hmm. osmolite, you can draw water into your GI system, which can cause some quote unquote bloating and discomfort. So if you're doing a loading phase and you're feeling that maybe you don't need to do a loading phase, or if you're at starting with five grams per day, which typically a lot of creatine is either that's the serving. It's five grams. It's either going to be a teaspoon or it's going to come with a little scooper in it. That's going to be a five gram weight scooper. So maybe start with half of that and then go three quarters and work your way up if that's something that you're experiencing. But it's not like you're putting on. I think often people oftentimes people get like, "Um, I'm I'm getting fatter in the midsection. You're not getting fatter. You're just feeling some distension because of the water being drawn into your GI system, you might get diarrhea because of that, right? That's that's an often oftentimes a side effect of creatine. It's okay, just taper your dosage up. Yeah, and give it some time. Yeah, and then we get into the types of creatine, Nicole, where we talk about um, different types. We've got creatine monohydrate, creatine hydrochloride, which there's some claims on that. I mean, I look at it like this. Creatine hydrochloride is said to... Uh, increase full saturation at a more rapid rate. Maybe there's a, a increased absorption with hydrochloride, but like you're going to reach 100% saturation in your muscles with creatine monohydrate anyway. And yeah. with creatine hydrochloride, what it is is like you can take a lower dose and reach full saturation because of the absorption. However, the price per scoop is just insane. When you compare it to like, you can't justify even if you're taking less. Creatine monohydrate is literally the cheapest supplement in existence. I know it's a little bit more expensive post COVID, but everything is really protein is too. But creatine monohydrate is the cheapest supplement and it's the one that is studied the most. There have been claims on 
creatine ethyl ester and that it doesn't, you don't retain as much water, but just like I said, the water that you retain is going to be in your muscle and it's going to have an anabolic effect. So why would you want to get rid of that? Uh, also, I don't see any validation to the claims that you do retain less water. Uh, and then there was for a while floating around. I don't even think people sell these products anymore, but I remember early on when I was working in the vitamin store, there was creatine, uh, creatine phosphate, which was, was sold or yeah, it was creatine phosphate. So if you think about like, it was phosphocreatine, right? So creatine, it's like you already have the components that you need, um, mm -hmm. but that doesn't seem to have a better outcome. So long story short, creatine monohydrate is the way you want to go. It's the cheapest. You're going to save a bunch of money and it's going to be as effective, if not more effective than these other types of creatine. So if you're on the market for some creatine, just buy the cheap stuff. And normally I'll say you get what you pay for, but in this case, I'm going to say, just buy the cheap stuff and it's going to be adequate for you. Mm -hmm. All right. So we talked about dosing. Um, the other thing with creatine is uh, sarcopenia. So like who is creatine for? When I say, when I ask the question, who is creatine for? Creatine is for everybody, male, female, whatever, whoever you are, it, it's it's for you. Unless uh, maybe, I, I'm, I don't know, Nicole, is it on the NCAA ban list? I'm pretty sure I have NCAA. No idea. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I remember because I spoke to a girl who was an, an equestrian who could not take creatine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I was like, and she's in doing it at a college level, and she was like, I can't take it, and I'm like, I can't. Maybe wow. you're maybe you're stronger, and you have to be. You need strength to be on the horse, so it's a well, performance hell yes. But I also part part of me kind of thought like it's just like all right, NCAA all across the board. This they is the list. Strip everything, right? Yeah. This is the list. You can't. You can't even have above a certain threshold of caffeine. Yeah, yeah. As an athlete, right? Like yeah. one Red Bull will take that you over. Some something like that, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, it's for everybody, and especially people who are older. Sarcopenia is a big thing, right? So for our older population, as you start to age, if you're First and foremost, you need to be doing resistance training so that you can maintain your muscle because it's a lot easier for you to lose muscle. Mm -hmm. And it, if you lose muscle, you lose bone density, right? So that's tied to that mm -hmm. as well. So you want to make sure that you are maintaining your strength. And especially when we look at, let's say, research on life expectancy, right? And there's a lot of correlations mm -hmm. with your strength. And this is where, Nicole, we talked about this a little bit when we talked to Joey Munoz, where we talked about the um he talked about like push-ups right like the number of push-ups you could yeah. do correlates with how long you live your grip strength and yep. how strong you can grip correlates with your uh life expectancy how many squats you could do right like all of those things i don't think it has anything to do with the individual exercise but what it shows us the whole body of research is i interpret it this way the stronger you are as you age the longer you're going to live and one of the reasons why is you have better balance, coordination. You can stand up without falling down. Falling down is one of the number one. Like if you fall and break your hip. Yeah. For old people, like for, for the older population, I say old people, like I feel like that's like a almost like a derogatory way of saying that. But for, you know, for the elder population, if you fall and break a hip, then next thing you know, you're in and out of the hospital. And that's no, one of the leading causes of death amongst elderly individuals, right? So mm -hmm. the stronger you are going into that phase of your life, the better off you'll be. Also quality of life, you'll be better. Yeah. So now let's move along, Nicole, to creatine in 
muscle versus the brain. And we're going to talk a little bit about absorption and where creatine is created. So muscle cannot synthesize creatine and muscle relies predominantly on dietary creatine and then a little bit on endogenous creatine synthesized by the liver, the kidneys, and the pancreas. And it's greatly, so the amount that you have in your muscle is going to be largely determined on how much you're consuming because muscles don't have the enzymes to make it. However, the brain does seem to have two, you have two things when it comes to the brain with creatine. Number one, you have the enzymes, the enzymatic pathways to be able to synthesize creatine from those three amino acids, arginine, glycine, and methionine. And you have those available as long as you're eating adequate amino acids, you have those available and your brain can create it. And your brain also has creatine transporters that are found at the blood-brain barrier. They're found in neurons. They're found in your brain cells. Um, But the nervous system does have the enzymes to make it, like I said. Now, creatine, this is, Nicole, this is where I get into, and you and I had this conversation offline about yeah create about like the some of the claims like for example we did an episode on leaky gut and i remember a mm-hmm. while ago when i was doing research on leaky gut and i was like i was doing it for school and i was like wow all these people making all these claims writing all these books about leaky gut and it's like you how do you there's not even enough research available on the topic so i think i want to talk about it from that perspective and i want to start from that place mm-hmm. is that it's very new what we're studying when it comes to brain health and creatine. And there's a lot to it. And there's a lot that we don't know. And I'm going to put the disclaimer here. A lot of the claims that people are making on the internet are based off of studies done on animals. And one of the reasons for that is because it's very difficult and very expensive. From from my reading, there are two different ways to test brain creatine levels, like how much creatine is stored in the brain. And it's very expensive to do. So I don't think there are only a a couple of studies that actually did that. And in order to get more funding, we need a lot more of these animal studies, but it's very hard to draw conclusions from animals and take them into humans. So here's one thing that we know about the brain and creatine is that it seems to kind of have like this self-regulating process. So what I mean by that is generally speaking, the healthy brain will have pretty much more or less the same amount of creatine stored at all times. Your and your brain will create it when it needs it. And what it seems like is there might be some kind of a mechanism where almost like a hormones, right? Like if you take uh, exogenous, uh, like a steroid, like if you take uh, testosterone, your body will shut down production of its own mm-hmm. testosterone because it's getting it from an outside source. So what it's thought is potentially the brain has that kind of a mechanism with creatine. Like if you're consuming more creatine, the brain will basically downregulate its own production of creatine because it's getting enough. And then if you stop consuming it at any point, let's say one day you become a vegan, you're not getting uh, a lot of dietary creatine, then it may upregulate again. Mm -hmm. So that's the case when it comes to the brain. And That's where I think it's kind of difficult to make statements in the way that people do and say, creatine is great for the brain. Well, because I I don't really know because a healthy brain is making a lot of its own creatine. However, what we're finding too is that, go ahead. I don't know if this is okay to say, but wouldn't you say that a healthy body that's lifting weights and 
eating well is appropriately able to build muscle. Yes, but creatine is going to give it an extra edge, right? So wouldn't the same thing apply for the brain? Would it give it the same extra edge? Do you understand what I'm correlating here? Like I get yes, I understand what you're saying, but so I guess what I'm saying is you without consuming extra creatine mm -hmm. and without having extra like you're not going to reach 100% saturation. You get what I'm saying? You can work out all you want. You can eat adequate right, yeah, protein. Yeah, I hear you. But that's what you're saying. It's that extra. We, we said this on one another podcast. It's the extra 5% boost to get to the saturation so that you're getting the most out of the benefit of a supplement. And that's what a supplement basically does. Yes, yes. But I don't know. We don't really know if the brain does that. Like is your your brain seems to be fully saturated already. Right. So is mm -hmm. more is supplementation with more creatine? That's the question. That's is supplementation the question. is supplementation with more creatine going to add more and therefore add a, add more of a benefit? We know that with muscle. If you add more creatine mm -hmm. into a muscle cell, it performs optimally. And we know that the mechanisms are the same. Right. So when we're talking about creatine in the muscle versus creatine in the brain, all it's doing is providing energy for those systems. Is providing Correct. is providing a phosphate for ATP. So what we're thinking is mm -hmm. the same way that it's working in muscle to yield mm -hmm. energy. It's doing the same exact thing in the brain. It's providing energy yeah. for the brain to power through and work. Now, what we've got here with creatine is for certain disorders. So, and this was actually interesting. And I had reached out to a client because I was like, you know, autism is a hot topic, right? And I reached out to a client to, to talk to him about this because he has a, a kid with autism. So, Mm -hmm. And and he's like, well, any any thoughts on like, has it been tested with with children? Like, I'm like, we're not that far yet. Yeah. Um, but what we do know is that there are certain like, let's say mental disorders in which we find that these individuals have depleted creatine levels in their brain. Yeah. So in theory, giving them more creatine may actually help. In some, I'm not saying that you're going to cure autism, obviously. Nicole, you and I talked about this offline. Yeah. You're like, ah, be careful how you word that, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. But, but, but you're right. If there's depletion or if there's, you know, mechanisms that are not fully functioning and this can help aid in them functioning better, this would be a supplement that may be an option. Right. And then I start to think, I'm like, well, are they missing transporters? Are they missing right. certain like enzymes? Right. Like, yeah. why, how why are they depleted? Or is their brain trying to work harder? Like, what's going on there? Mm -hmm. So what we find with mm -hmm. mental retardation, uh, learning delays, autism, people who suffer, some people who suffer with seizures, they tend to have uh, low phosphocreatine levels. Uh, and it's been suggested that possibly supplementing with creatine can be helpful with these disorders. Now, a couple of other things that we know, and there are some studies that seem promising, although some of the research is just like everything else. Some of the research is conflicting. It really depends how you're interpreting the studies. But um, in in times where creatine metabolism seems to be ramped up, like periods of rapid altered brain ATP turnover, where you're using a lot of energy, um, such as like uh, during cognitive tasks, mm -hmm. complex cognitive tasks, like you're really trying to you're taking an exam. For, exa for example, like taking an SAT, <laughs> taking an SAT. Right. Uh, and this has been studied and we're, I'm going to get into that hypoxia where your brain is lacking oxygen and it has to have that high turnover of energy. That's where creatine also might be useful. And there are studies on sleep deprivation 
uh, that show that sleep deprived, that people who are in a sleep deprived state can it can help maintain random movement generation, time to react to choices. So like increase the time to react to choices because you have kind of almost like a slow reflex mood state. So it can help with your mood and it can help with your balance. Uh, and this has been shown effective when supplementing with 20 grams per day for seven days. And I want to kind of highlight the 20 grams because it has been suggested in some research that we haven't found the threshold because of that kind of homeostasis, that that balance with mm-hmm. brain creatine in that what's what it's thought is, well, maybe if we give higher doses of creatine, then that will increase brain creatine. So it's a, it's a thought. It's maybe um, I, I don't really know more to be determined. Uh, And then there's a study on creatine supplementation at eight grams per day was shown to increase oxygen utilization in the brain and reduce mental fatigue in participants performing repetitive mathematical calculations. So for students like myself, Mm. I am like, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep trucking along with the creatine while I'm in school because, you know, it, it 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 is shown to help in some studies. Yeah. In addition to that, brain injuries. So animal studies have found that the provision of creatine in the diet for five days prior to traumatic brain injury decreased the amount of cortical brain damage by 36% in rats and 50% in mice. The researchers attributed the reduction in cortical damage to an improved energy availability. So the brain has the ability to recover from a traumatic brain injury. Now, Nicole, what does this say for for example, and I don't know because it hasn't been studied yet, football players. Yeah, good point. Right? They're always bashing their helmets against, and we're trying to do, like, everybody's, there's a whole, there was a whole body of research. There's yeah. a whole movie, that Will Smith movie. Yeah. Which, by the way, phenomenal movie. Yeah. I forget what it was called, but. Concussed or something? I think it was or... something along those lines where it was the doctor that yeah. discovered. Figured out. Yeah. Um, the uh, encephalopathy, it was like some kind of encephalopathy. Yeah. Um, and what he found was that there was like severe brain damage and then they would have all of these kind of mental it's years later too. That's issues. not something that happens right away. And you can't diagnose it until the individual dies. So you basically mm-hmm. have to try to diagnose it with, okay, well, you're a football player and you're experiencing these things. So it's possible that, you know, th- this is what you're experiencing, but they yeah. weren't able to do it until That's interesting until after when they did the um the autopsy autopsy yeah right and then they would take a piece of the brain they put it under a microscope and they would see this common thread and that's how they discovered it which mm-hmm. was uh, uh very interesting and for anybody who hasn't seen that it's just it's a crazy movie and the NFL just tried to bury the studies like you're full of shit and then finally they had to come around and be like all right this is the thing and we have to address it yeah so creatine is shown to help with uh, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries. It's shown to help with that too. And uh, the other thing with with creatine, the newer development with creatine is creatine and depression. So with creatine and depression, and Nicole, you and I talked about uh, methyl donors. So we're going to get yeah. get a little bit into that. I'm not going to go too deep into the genetic expression piece on that. But what mm-hmm. I will say is that Sam E is um, S adenosyl methionine. It's a popular supplement. I've seen it prescribed by vet veterinarians for dogs. Uh, and I've seen, I don't know if Nicole, have you ever seen that like supplemented with cats? No, my cats are crazy, but 
I I was looking it up. I didn't find anything for cats, but gotcha. So it's uh it's been supplemented with both animals such as dogs and humans. I mean, cats um, are better than dogs, but whatever. Go ahead. Yeah, well, cats aren't depressed. They're just depressing me. <laughs> but low levels of circulating SAM-E, your body makes SAM-E as well. Low levels of circulating SAM-E have been associated with depression. SAM-E has also been studied as an adjuvant therapy alongside an antidepressant and has been shown to increase the effectiveness of the antidepressant. So SAM-E is important for the brain. It's important for your mood, for stabilizing your mood. And SAM-E is also a precursor to creatine because it is a methyl donor when creatine levels are low. So it's going to basically donate that methionine. And methionine is where that methyl comes from. And it's going to help to produce creatine. So if your SAM-E levels are low, then your creatine levels are probably also going to be low as well, unless you're consuming lots and lots of dietary creatine. Uh, this may have implications, like we talked about, there may be some implications for genetic expression and DNA methylation, because that would take away from SAM-E donating to methylation for other bodily functions. So what I mean by that is if SAM-E, if you're not consuming creatine in adequate, adequate amounts and you don't have enough creatine in your body, in your brain, wherever, then SAM-E has to donate that methyl group to make creatine and then you don't have as much SAM-E freed up for other bodily functions. And there are a lot of bodily functions that require methylation. Like, for example, Nicole, we talk about vitamin B12, right? Yes. And we, we talk about taking uh, methylcobalamin, which is the active form versus supplementing with a cyanocobalamin. If you supplement with a cyanocobalamin, your body has to convert that to the active form, which is methylcobalamin. Same thing for folate, right? Uh, what is it? 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate, right? You need those methyl groups to make the active form. So if you're taking folic acid in a supplement or it's fortified in your food, there needs to be a methyl donated in order to create that active form that we want to use. So you're, for your vitamins to work, the ones that you're eating in your diet, they need to be able to be converted through the, that donation of the methyl group. And then the other thing is when we look at expressing genes, Mm -hmm. both healthy and unhealthy, I think, but for the most part on a healthy side of things, expressing genetics. And we talk about like um, genetics and we talk about epigenetics, right? And genetic is kind of like the roadmap and then whether or not they're expressed is going to be the, the destiny, right? Like, so for example, if you have a gene for type two diabetes, how that gene is going to be expressed is going to be dependent on your lifestyle factors. Part of that is also going to be dependent on methylation. Right. So in studies in the lab, what we can do is we can look at uh, DNA, we can unravel it and we can say, OK, well, like what is being expressed? And then we can we can kind of look at the causes. This is part of like this, this is a whole huge topic on its own. But when we did many, many years ago, I think like some at some point in the 90s, uh, when the Human Genome Project came about and we unmapped, we're like, we're going to unmap the entire human genome. And then we find wait, but this isn't it because now we have to factor in, we need a human epigenome project at this point because the, the way that they're expressed really matters. So the point that I'm trying to make with that is that creatine is very important to have adequate amounts so that you're not using these methyl groups to give yourself more creatine because your body needs it for other things. 
And it's it's been proposed, there is a study that proposed that around 40% of the methylation burden of the body can actually be relieved through creatine supplementation. And I'm going to make a bold statement here, and somebody might get pissed off at this. This is why you shouldn't be fucking vegan. I mean, all the shit that I learn about a lot of things. Well, now. No, no, no. But here's, listen, can you be a healthy vegan? Yes, absolutely. Of course. But here's the thing. For the people who say that, being vegan or vegetarian is like humans weren't meant to eat meat. There are so many benefits, Nicole, like we look at B12. You can be deficient in B12 if you're a vegan or vegetarian because B12 only comes from animal sources. Guess what? Creatine predominantly comes from animal sources. All of these good things that come from eating meat, I don't. I just don't understand how somebody can tell me we weren't meant to eat meat. Look at our teeth or look at, you know, what whatever else you want to talk about. Well, I mean, it's all the extremes. I think there's all the stuff in the middle. You know me. I'm I'm not one way or the other. Whatever works best for you. If you're going to do it in, in terms of not eating meat, then you have to make sure you're supplementing to have a healthy body like you're talking about. I think everything has a place and everybody can pick what they want or choose what they want. But you just have to be educated on what that does to your body. Pay attention to the awareness of how your body functions. And if you need to make changes, like you have to pay attention to things. But I mean, I think everything is possible. Plenty of people yes, and are I've healthy and either I've, way. Listen, I've coached in that way. Hey, if you're vegan or vegetarian, cool. Like, let's find a way to make it work optimally for you. There right. may be some supplements, right? Because this is where supplements come in. Like you said earlier, Nicole, is that it's meant to supplement something that your body's not getting enough of. Exactly. Right? And if you decide to be a vegan or vegetarian, I'm not saying you can't do that and live a healthy life. I do think that it's it's slightly more difficult, especially when we come when we talk about from a protein standpoint, getting complete proteins, making yes. sure if you're trying to build muscle, increasing muscle protein synthesis, like doing that without supplementing is very difficult, yeah. right? But if you are, uh, let's say, an omnivore and you're getting adequate protein from uh, animal sources, then you don't necessarily have to supplement. Where whereas, like somebody who's like a vegan or vegetarian, vegetarian not so much, but more so vegan. Uh, mm -hmm. It may be very difficult to kind of hit those thresholds if your focus is building muscle. If not, if you're talking general health and wellness, yeah, maybe you can get adequate protein, you know, but we've got to look at bioavailability of different proteins and there are so many different factors, right? Yeah. And amino acid compositions and you need amino acid to make things like creatine, for example, or mm -hmm. you need amino acids to build muscle or you need amino acids to... Uh, make, um, you know, DNA, RNA, hair, skin, nails, right? Like all of these things that are made up of protein. Yeah. And you also can get your blood work done. I mean, this is part of what I have clients do. If they're going to be a vegan, uh, we're going to make sure that everything from a health standpoint is adequately being met. And yeah, but there are, some, there. there are some things you can't measure, right? Like, a, Well, of course, but I mean, the baseline, you can you can get some baseline you, markers on. You can measure vitamins. B12, see if yeah. you're deficient. You can measure, you know, basically any any vitamin. Any vitamin. Um, so that's basically, the, I guess the point of this is we want to kind of dive into a little bit of the research on the things associated with creatine outside of just building muscle. Like I said, the safety and efficacy of creatine has been studied for a very, very long time. Uh, one thing that I'll mention is there has been a misconception around creatine of like, oh, well, maybe creatine is bad for your kidneys because the waste product of creatine is creatinine and creatinine is technically a blood marker of of a, an unhealthy kidney. But just because it's a waste product doesn't mean that it's causing damage to your kidneys. And we've shown time and time again that it's safe. Uh, and you may want to consider 
creatine for other reasons. And I think as we're aging, and this is where I want to see more research for individuals trying to age in a healthy way, I would say, where are the, or I would ask, where are the implications for things like dementia, Alzheimer's, right? Like those are things that I think as this whole thing unravels, I think overall, from my interpretation of the research, it points to creatine is really good for cognitive function. It's really good for your brain, especially if you use your brain a lot. I think we'll find under periods of high stress, we'll find a need for creatine and there's definitely more to be determined. And from a standpoint of other things currently being studied, there are possible implications for creatine with type two diabetes, insulin resistance, and overall blood glucose management. And there also are some positive benefits for cardiovascular health as well. I was just going to add all of the things that you just mentioned, cardiovascular health, cognitive function, building muscle are all things, uh, insulin resistant. What else did you say there? Um, blood glucose management, blood glucose. I, yeah. All of that. Much it. A lot of those things for perimenopausal and menopausal women are aspects of our health that starts to change when we go through perimenopause and menopause. So creatine is a huge, uh, supplement that I push for all my women over 40 or 50, myself included. And it definitely, I mean, having more muscle, building more muscle, lifting weights and being strong and performing well, all helps with all of the, the things that you just listed. So even if you think of it from a performance standpoint and muscle built and then work backwards, like through the health, we, you, I usually think about it as what, it, what, what will it do to make you healthy? And then I go forward to muscle development, but this one, you can even actually backtrack and start from muscle development and performance, and then go through all of the things leading into health from the back end. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I, so. I'll say this creatine used to be, and it's kind of is about what, like what you were just saying, creatine was a bodybuilding supplement, right? Like only bodybuilders took it. Well, listen, when I was growing up, a lot of the girls, a lot of the females on the track, softball and lacrosse teams. But they, I, a lot of that stuff in my high school girls would take creatine for that reason. It was all performance based. And I remember thinking as a dancer, well, I don't need that because I'm not performing the way they're performing. Completely incorrect. But it wasn't something in the dance world that, that dancers thought was important for performance, but it probably could have helped from an injury standpoint. I mean, I could go on and on, but it wasn't until later in life that I found it for myself. I'm going to say this. I'm generally somebody who says there's no such thing as a superfood. But if I had it's to say- It's not a superfood. If I, shut up, listen. If I had to say that there was- <laughs> Come on. There was a, a super nutrient that did a lot for the body, I, I would say creatine is it. I would say we need to move, we need to remove- the, the thought that creatine is just for athletes or people working out. Well, that I will give you. And we need to take creatine and we need to put it into this, cat, this new category where creatine is good for overall health and wellness. Yeah. yeah. And I think I, I don't see a downside to any healthy individual taking creatine supplements. And in some cases, and obviously uh, to be determined, but in some of these cases with some of these brain disorders, it may also be beneficial. So I don't say, I wouldn't say those people aren't healthy, but um, there is some kind of a disorder going on and creatine does seem to be linked to that as well, like we talked about. 
Yeah, agree. So that's pretty much it, ladies and gentlemen. That is creatine beyond muscle, where there are many, many benefits that we're finding. I'm super excited for this body of research. I will continue to look into this. I will continue to uh, research this topic and uh, maybe in the future make some uh, some some reels, some videos on this topic to update you guys on where we are in the science because I think this is super and you know it's it's every once in a while I find a um, I find a topic that I'm like, oh man, I'm super excited to follow up on this later on and see what we come up with and this is definitely one of those. And with that being said, Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week.